Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. This podcast is a bar crawl around America to find out what real people around the country are saying about hot political issues and culture. I'm David Kochel, longtime political consultant and veteran of six presidential campaigns. And I'm Rob Stutzman, political consultant based in California, once worked for a governor named Schwarzenegger. But more than that, Kochel and I are best friends and have drank together in a lot of bars across this glorious country. More than I can count. That's right, Rob. Each week, we'll interview a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons and therefore the pulse of America, real America. When Kochel and I fly into a city to work and we want to know what's on people's minds about politics, culture, and pocketbooks, we do the only sensible thing and find a bartender. And to kick things off, we'll find out what drink the locals are ordering, get the recipe, and knock back a few while we chat with our guest. You can find the recipe for each week's cocktail in the show notes. And I can tell you some of these will be amazing. If you decide to make this week's signature cocktail at home, please share a pic on Instagram or tweet about it with the hashtag Highball Podcast. And if you're a bartender or you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at highballpolitics at gmail.com with the name of the bartender in the bar and why they be perfect for our show. Rob, today we're talking with Joshua Davis, who bartends at 16th Street Bar in Chicago, Illinois, in the South Loop. But before we talk to Josh, let's get a bit of context of what's going on in the news and why Chicago's important right now to what's happening in politics in America. David, take it away. Well, as a resident Cubs fan, Rob, I care a lot about Chicago, and I think the country has been paying pretty close attention over the last uh, few months to that mayor's race. You know, it's been well covered on cable news. You got an incumbent mayor, Lori Lightfoot, who lost her runoff, got 16% of the vote, which is- make the runoff. Sure. Didn't make the runoff. You had well over a like almost 600,000 votes cast. That's a big turnout for a primary in a mayor's race. That's just a lot of people coming out to vote. I think a lot of people were watching. Obviously, the crime issue is a, is a big thing in Chicago. The police union endorsed Vallis, who went on to come out of the runoff with the most votes. Now he goes on to face Brandon Johnson, who's you know supported by the teachers union, I think will probably have a, a lot of the black community behind him. So it, it should be a pretty contentious runoff, but crime certainly a big issue driving things. Education is a big issue coming out of COVID and all of that. This will be an interesting race to watch Chicago, obviously a huge, important, broad-shouldered city in our country. We'll see where this goes, but it's another big city incumbent Democrat who got booted for not doing the job. You know, it's kind of a lesson. I think a lot of big city mayors looking around, making sure that they're saying the right things and doing the right things, particularly on crime, but not just crime. Obviously, there are a lot of other issues at play here. So we talked to Josh and we'll kind of find out what his patrons think, but a lot of lessons, I think, coming out of that mayor's race. And this runoff will happen quick coming up on April 4th. So with that, let's get to Joshua Davis, who bartends at 16th Street Bar, Chicago, Illinois. Well, it's our pleasure and honor today to welcome Joshua Davis from 16th Street Bar in Chicago, Illinois, to Highball Politics. Josh, it's great to have you aboard, man. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thank you for having me, man. This is a a really dope podcast platform, so I'm really excited to be on. Well, we're excited you're with us. So fill us in a little bit on 16th Street Bar. Give us kind of the overview of the place and where it's at in the city. Yeah, absolutely. So 16th Street Bar is uh, located on 16th and Michigan uh, in the South Loop, which is basically, if you're not familiar with Chicago, the South Loop is about a 10, 12 block radius in between downtown and the beginning of the south side of Chicago. 
Um, we're kind of like what I like to call the the South Loop's best kept secret. Small, quaint, going to get about 65, 70 people in there max. But when you come in, you think cocktail bar, but with a dive bar feel. So you can come in after work or you can come in with your sweats and watch the game. It's not, it's not real pretentious and stuffy. Tend to have a good time and just really want to get the best cocktails out to, to our people that come in and see us. So throughout the day, what's the crowd like? Uh, you know, daytime, happy hour, nighttime. I imagine you've got all kinds of people coming in there because you're in an interesting part of the city where you've got a lot of different, you know, blends of culture and ethnicity and, and everything mm-hmm. going on. So tell us about who's in your bar throughout the day. Well, it's super diverse. The one thing I love about our bar now, post-pandemic, we reopened to where now we have a coffee bar during the daytime. So a lot of people come in, it's like a workspace. So you can get, you know, young millennials, older people, politicians, it's business meetings. It's all different type of stuff that comes in during the daytime. Happy hour is a little bit of a mix of the after work crowd. And then nighttime, you know, we lean a little more hip hop, a little more African-American. A lot of my buddies come in and hang out on the late night side. So usually when all the uh, normal people are in bed, my friends come outside and meet yeah. <laughs> Who controls the playlist at that hour? So it depends on the bartender. Uh, the one thing I love that we did, we empowered every bartender to be able to put their own spin and their own personality into their shift, right? So when I get there, usually I'm there at 4 p.m. When I'm on time, I get there at 4 p.m. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> that's kind of like that that gray area where like the work crowd that was in there working, drink coffee, starting to fade out. So I kind of keep it R&B vibes, 90s. A lot of fun, you know, new addition guy, jealousy, just kind of keep the vibe kind of chill. And as the night progresses, well, it depends on what crowd comes in, that's how I go with the music. So by 8 p.m., we're fully 90s hip-hop, Wu-Tang, Jay-Z, Biggie, all of that, you know, <laughs> through, through the rest of the night to the end of the night. Awesome. That sounds like a great playlist. Uh, yeah, so man. you got all ages coming through throughout the day. I'll bet when it comes to, you know, our subject here, politics, I'm guessing you get a really broad cross-section of people and how they think and what they're doing and what they're talking about and what they care about when it comes into politics. And one of the reasons, Josh, we're doing Chicago and we're so excited to have you on is because you guys just had a really big mayor's race. Yeah. We're going to talk to that in a little bit. So stay tuned for that. But first, we got to get from you your signature cocktail today because i know you're, oh, absolutely. Bringing, you're bringing something special absolutely man so i call it the south sider you know represent my side of town where i'm at home it's a take on the classic boulevardier so you would use uh whatever whiskey you choose uh today i'm using uh wolf reserve double oaked gotta give it a Thanks. little big more flavor big bowl flavor yeah campari sweet vermouth and i add a little bit of uh saint george's fair liqueur to kind of round it out fully and add a little bit of sweetness to take a little bit of that bitterness away and make a real balanced cocktail. Is so. this on your menu or is this just one you whipped up for today? This is one I just did. So I did it for the Woodford Reserve dinner that I just did. I partnered with Woodford Reserve to create a menu of cocktails to go along with the chef that did a dinner for about 20 bar professionals. And it actually came as an accident. Like I accidentally put the pear liqueur in there, real, real talk. <laughs> and, and I was like, I was like, shit, this tastes good, man. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's like the Reese's peanut butter cup discovery, right? Exactly. Yeah. It was like, oh, shit, all right, all right, let's do this. And it worked, and everybody loved it, so I've been drinking them ever since. I did a little research on the, on the cocktail. I've had some boulevardes. Oh, you could never say it right uh, in the past. But you, some people describe it because of the Campari that it's kind of a Negroni with whiskey. Yes. That, yeah. That's actually the perfect way to describe it. I changed it so Negroni... Typically, you know, it's equal parts. So it's one, one, one mm-hmm. on the outside. 
I like my drinks a little heavier. So I went two ounces of whiskey to a half ounce of Campari, a half ounce of uh, vermouth, and then a half ounce of the Pere Liqueur. So the wisdom comes through for me a little heavy. I like high proof stuff. So that's that's just me though. Well, that's but it might be just us too. So that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking we're gonna make sure that's the recipe we go with. Whip this up later. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Just drink responsibly and don't drink it dry. Got to throw that out. Well said. You know? Well yeah. said. Amen to all that. Let's go on to politics here. Let's talk a little bit about mm-hmm. this mayor's race. Almost a half a million Chicagoans turned out for this mayor's race. You had Lori Lightfoot, who's been the mayor for four years, on the ballot. Did it surprise people the way this thing turned out? No. I mean, well, this is the first time in my lifetime. I'll be 44 in a couple of months. And I've only seen like four mayors in Chicago. I saw Harold Washington. The dailies who, you know, pretty much run the city. Rom, which was a daily clone, and now Lightfoot. Nobody was really surprised that she was out. Uh, the way she handled, you know, 2020, the way she handled COVID, the way she handled um, the racial stuff that was going on in, in the world in the last few years. Just, yeah, everybody was ready for her to go. It was time. And while I love the fact that Lori was a black queer woman, you know, that's unprecedented to have as a mayor in the city, a major city like Chicago, that was really dope. And I'm really happy the stride she made for that community. She just really just didn't get to do a good job, in my opinion. Yeah. So the folks coming into your bar, do they reflect what the voters said a couple of weeks ago? You know, it was just kind of palpable. Let's get rid of Lori and, and go another direction. How is talk about her going into the race? In my neck of the woods, nobody in Chicago really liked Lori. As far as like black, young black Chicagoans like myself, we didn't really dig her because, again, she was kind of like in the police pocket. She kind of tried to play both sides. Nobody really liked it. But the thing... What's cool about my bar is there's a lot of politic guys and there's a lot of educators that come in our bar. So it's always that CTU versus the police union kind of discussions and arguments that happen at our bar all the time. It gets interesting. It gets a little heated sometimes. But overall, it was time for her to go. But I really don't like that we got Paul Vallis in because that's really like not any better. It's almost a clone. It's just an older white guy. That's the clone for Lori now. And he's supported by the police. By the police. By the yeah, police. So that yeah. really drove yeah. his campaign. Yep. So in the bar, who do you think probably most of the patrons voted for if they weren't voting for Lori? Um, Lightfoot. I, for, I forgot. He's a young guy. He's actually in the runoff on April 4th against Paul Valens. I voted for my buddy Cam Thomas. Like I said, this year we had like 48 people ran for mayor. It was crazy. Like I've never seen a mayor race with this many different candidates, which... Honestly, for like the quote unquote black vote, it split it up way too much. Yeah. So some, you know what I mean? Because it was like, we had six black candidates, two white ones. It was like, well, the black vote got split in half. You know what I mean? So personally, I feel like we just need to take the entire system and just tear it down and redo it over. You You're know talking I mean? about the city politics. and The yeah. city politics. Well, I mean, it can, we can go higher than that, but definitely <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> Starts there. Yeah, let's start, just start the grassroots on the streets in the area here. But yeah, we could definitely tear down the entire system as all. And, you know, I was, I was playing, I was working the shift last night, I was talking to a guy and I was like, you know, we vote and we want our voices heard. But people that look like me, when voting started, we were still slaves and weren't allowed to vote. So I kind of think we need to change the system as a whole. And then maybe we can get some better candidates and really affect change, you know, moving forward. So the candidates, let's talk about them for a second. Brandon Johnson is the guy who made the runoff. Brandon Johnson. Uh, he's, yes, he's, yes, a, Brandon Johnson. he's a school teacher. Teachers Union spent about two and a half million bucks uh, helping him mm-hmm. in his race. Paul Vallis, obviously the candidate of mm-hmm. the cops of the police union. So you got police and the teachers kind of on opposite sides here. Some pretty big, powerful constituencies mm-hmm. at play here. 
a lot of money got spent. I mean, you must have been sick of the TV ads. You should have the TV yes. on at the bar and see those. Yes. And I turned it, I always turned it right off. I usually, when I get in the bar, CNN is on at like 4 or 5 p.m. We're going straight to ESPN, man. Something, anything other than <laughs> politics. Like, I, you know, you kind of want to, when you go into a bar, you want to get away from it and kind of just escape from those realities for, for a couple hours. So I tend to try to do that and kind of monitor the conversation so it doesn't get too bad and affect the mood of the entire bar. So I think I understand this right. You mentioned in the mayor's race, you voted for a, a buddy of yours, a friend of yours, mm-hmm. because he's a patron of the bar, right? Absolutely. He's in there. I love it. Every Wednesday and every Friday, he's in there hanging out with us. <laughs> and, he's, and he's doing that before, you know, he started running. So it kind of, it helped, you know what I mean? For the familiarity, we had a couple uh, events, fundraisers that we, you know, were able to do for him at the bar. So he was the person I know, and I know yeah. the value. You know, that's what me with voting, right? Like, I want to vote for the person I feel the most comfortable with. And I'm like, he has some really good talking points. He was really big on education. He's really big on getting opportunities and uh, after school programs, different things just to help the actual inner city. So that's what he was really focused on. And I, I could definitely stand with that. Well, I love that the bar had its own candidate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. The 16th Street bar ticket. Yeah, I know. The bar <laughs> owner and, and the former owner, uh, they were Big, big political guys in the city that that really supported some people. So we were all, we always have things going on since I've much seen you. I've been there eight years. Last week, man, eight years. So we've had a ton of different fundraisers and political events going on at the bar. So tell us about in terms of the patrons and the way they engage with the mayor's race. I mean, what are these? Yeah. Well, I've heard because again, like I said, I try to keep it at a minimum. Like we just want people to kind of unwind. But resources in the inner city—that's a huge thing. Education. And definitely police and as much money that's getting funneled into the, the police union that we can maybe disperse some of that into some of these neighborhoods to kind of help get, again, after school programs for the kids. Crime is up because people don't have anything to do. They have no outlets. They have nothing to do. So they're just outside. I mean, I used to be that young, dumb kid. You end up making mistakes and doing stupid stuff when you don't have anything to stimulate yourself. So that's the huge things that I've heard. And those are also things that are important to me as well. Yeah, watching this thing nationally, this is obviously a pretty well watched race around the country. You know, a lot of you know, a lot of attention. You know, the national cable networks looked at it, and you would think that the only issue going on in Chicago is crime. crime. Yeah. yeah, social yeah. media, social media. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Is that that seems to be right now Chicago's brand? You know, mm-hmm. is that it's a you know murder capital, crime capital. Yeah. Yeah. specifically affecting your community. Is that what we should think about when we think about Chicago? No. When you think of Chicago, you know, I lifelong Chicagoan, you know, been here my entire life. Growing up, to me, Chicago is way more dangerous than it is now because a lot of the people who are starting to come home from jail now were the guys, you know, back then that were the actual guys that you should be nervous and scared about if you see them walking down the street. You know what I mean? It's like the Friday movie. You see Debo, you go the other way. It's a couple guys like that, you know what I mean, that I know personally, a couple of them in my family. You just want to go the other way when you see them coming. And it was like nowadays with these little small computers we have in our pocket, phones, I feel like it's a tactic that politicians use to get and gain votes. You scare the suburban people in Chicago into coming into Chicago and then you tell them you're going to crack down, you're going to be tough on crime. And then that gets those votes outside of Chicago when you start thinking about the governor's race, the Congress and things like that. So... Chicago is not as bad as it seems. Uh, it's just like any other major city, L.A., New York, Chicago, Miami. Hey, if you don't have any business being in certain areas, you shouldn't be in certain areas. And, you know, that will help 
cut down on crime because uh perfect example we have what everybody calls old block which is 64th and king drive where all the, the young new rappers the drill rappers from chicago come from they had kids that are flying into chicago to come take pictures or videos in one of the most dangerous you know areas in chicago it's like what your mind says i'm gonna go over here so i can film something so i can go viral and it's gonna make chicago look worse than it is mm. so. interesting is, is this a frustration for chicagoans this is kind of the meme of chicago Yes, absolutely. Because again, it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Like our skyline, absolutely, skyline is great. There's nothing better than in the summertime, either on my motorcycle or in my car, riding up Lakeshore Drive into downtown and seeing that skyline. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. You know, beaches. We have so many festivals in the summer. You have the High Park Summerfest, which I'm from a part of. I manage some of the bars there. Um, which one of the owners, Jeffrey Swain, owns Kim Bark uh, Beverage Shop here in Chicago. He runs. It's 30,000 people over two days and there's no violence. The Chicago House Music Picnic that happened on 4th of July weekend, no violence. And these are things that have been running for the last 10, 20 years. So I would love to see some politicians lean into that maybe and say, hey, look, there's some really good things going on in Chicago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's not focus on the negative. Let's get to the, the positive thing. When you can get in two weekends, almost 100, 150,000 people out and in the park, hanging out, having a good time, enjoying themselves, and they're all Chicagoans, and there's no violence, right. there's no issues, there's no problems. Like, why aren't we speaking on that? I want to do a little pivot here, because I think it, it goes to what some of the things Chicago is most famous for, and I think beloved for, and that's its sports franchises. And I'm going to be a little bit of a troublemaker here, <laughs> because, <laughs> Josh, I don't know if you know this, but Cottrell is a Cubs fan. Uh, I'm guessing from the South Side, you're a Sox fan. I am a true blue white Sox fan. <laughs> if, look. I always tell people, if I want to drink, I'll go to a bar. I don't need to go to Wrigley Field because that's the only thing you're going to do there is drink. <laughs> hey, let's talk about big celebrations in Chicago. I think mm -hmm. maybe one of the biggest celebrations in the history of Western civilization was in 2016 <laughs> when the Chicago Cubs won the World oh, Series. How about that? Okay, so look, I got to tell you a funny story now. So I am a true Blue White Sox fan. Anybody that's out there, you gotta check out my Instagram, Mr. Mixologist. Go back to 2016. I was in my bar, I bartended game seven, and I had a White Sox hat on and a jersey on the entire time. I don't flip. I don't flip. <laughs> uh, that's just ride or die. I'm the same way. Listen, I, I'll tell you what, you got a pretty good club out there, and you know we'll see how these next couple of years go. The Cubs have had to rebuild a little bit, but um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm gonna stick with it too. How about the Bears? Tell us about the Bears. We got a. I'm an Iowa State Cyclone. So you got David oh, Montgomery, a running back in the backfield. I love watching him play. I think you got an exciting quarterback. Tell me about the future yes. of the Bears. So I didn't know you went to Ohio State. One of my real good friends was DN at Ohio State, Reggie Hayward. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that went to end up playing for the Broncos and the Jaguars, one of my best Absolutely. Players. Yeah, we're incredible players, man. Yep. So nice. I know what the Bears did just yesterday. I mean, we got, what, three linebackers, uh, offensive linemen. Uh, we got a wide receiver in the last couple of days. They're making moves in the right direction. I mean, when you got 30 years of never doing it the right way, it's a lot to, to build on, but I really feel really good about the new head office, new front office, and the moves they're making to make the Bears good. I love Justin Fields. It's just nobody can be good, you know, as a quarterback when you don't have any yeah. protection and you have no yeah. weapons. You're running for your life every play, so. I'm glad they're sticking with Fields. Yeah. I don't like this Arlington Heights moves, though. I don't like that. I, don't, I want them to stay the Chicago Bears. I want them to stay in the city and figure it out. But, you know, 
hopefully before they do make that move to Arlington Heights, I can get another Super Bowl well, out of it. And just back to the bar focus a bit, you can walk the soldier from the bar, right? People eight, pregame eight there. minutes. Yep, eight yeah. minutes. You can literally walk outside my bar, go right 18th Street, walk straight east, and you walk right into the stadium. That's all. So, that's culture. You know, there's nothing better than the Sunday morning opening the bar at 9 a.m. and you got a full house because people are walking and they're coming from tailgating and they're walking into the stadium. There's nothing, no better feeling than that. So, and that's Chicago. That's what we do. We gather, we have fun. And we enjoy ourselves. If we can just start winning, we'll be all good. <laughs> all right, so let's switch it back to politics for a second, Josh. Yeah. We got a presidential campaign underway right now. <laughs> it's obviously looking like President Biden's going to run again. He hasn't mm-hmm. formally uh, announced or anything. Anybody paying attention to that? I know you got the big mayor's race, but like anybody talking about 2024 and the presidential race? Uh, Not too much. The one consensus I do here, and it's something I definitely share, I just want to see candidates that are not senior citizens. <laughs> the only way you can, the only way you can change is to get some new blood and some fresh people in there. And I would love to see some younger candidates that have a lot more progressive ideas than uh, the old guard. You know, I, Biden and the last guy—I don't want to say his name—but the last guy that was in there. <laughs> you know, these, these guys, uh, these guys are old men. It was like, let's, you know, let's figure out a way to change it. You know, I loved. Obama, that was the first time I actually ever voted in my life was when I voted for Obama in 08. So I love the fact that he was a younger candidate. He had energy. He really wanted to try some different things. So I would love to just see some young candidates, whether they be Democrat, Republican, that doesn't matter to me. I would just love to see somebody who wants the people to grow and wants the country to grow as a whole. How do people in your bar feel about the vice president, Vice President Harris? <laughs> So black woman, first vice president, more power to her. But she's a prosecutor, and most of my guys, we don't really trust prosecutors like that. Uh-huh. So, you know, she was definitely part of, you know, some things that didn't sit well with people in my age bracket that look like me. I do love the fact the stride that was made to see, like, hey, it's a woman vice president and a black woman at that. That's completely incredible, uh-huh. and I, I love that. So that opens the door for more you know, a more change like that. But maybe I think the last guy that was there, he provided a sound bite and a quote every day for four years. And I think that because we don't hear from her or Biden that much, people are like, what are they doing? And I think that's the right thing. People don't, we don't know what they're doing. The last guy, we do everything he did. Like he just, yeah, but they liked it or not. And- yeah, you <laughs> you definitely had a, a eye into the White House when, when he was around. So I think the big consensus is that like, what are they doing? Like what's happening? Because what's going to happen is now that voting season is ramping up and 2024 is coming fast, you'll start seeing them pandering for votes. And you'll start seeing them out now. It's like, well, where have you been the last three and a half years? Yeah. So let's talk just for a second about the last Democratic president from Chicago, Barack Obama, still very popular in Illinois and Chicago. Mm-hmm. If Biden doesn't run, a lot of people have mentioned your current governor, J.B. Pritzker, as a potential candidate, why don't you size him up for me? What do people talk about when you think about Governor Pritzker? So JB is, I mean, he's visible. I definitely love that about him. He's visible. He's in Chicago a lot. I would want to know what, for us, what would be his, what, what's he running his campaign on? Is it going to be education? Is it going to be crying? Like, I think that's the main thing for us before we could really give him a good evaluation. If you want to throw our support, it would be more so like, what's his going to be his campaign? Like, where are you going with it? Because again, if it's not going to be something that's going to affect the greater whole, we've had enough of that. We had enough agendas, you know what I mean, in the last two presidencies. So let's figure out what's going to help the country as a whole. Because I mean, from friends of mine that go outside the country, you know, unfortunately, because again, the last guy, and what's going on now with Biden is like, people don't take America as serious as they once did. 
And, you know, that's just, that's not cool. This is, this is a great country, even though it has some flaws and it started off kind of bad, but this uh, definitely is a great country. And I have opportunities to provide for myself and my family in ways that I know in other places I might not have. So, you know, let's figure out what candidate is going to run or something that's going to help our entire country. You know what I mean? And let's get that guy in Florida out of office, please. Well, <laughs> which one? Line them all up, man. Grab them all up. Let's get but DeSantis, Florida, gotta, yeah, Florida doesn't sell in Chicago as much as I love Miami, man. I just, I can't, that's just Florida, man. It's just, oh. Yeah, it's good. Let me come back to Pritzker for a moment and his job as governor. Because one thing that's interesting in these podcasts is, you know, kind of fresh off of COVID and how different mm -hmm. locations dealt with COVID. Was there a sense during that time? Because you already identified that Lightfoot, it was a liability for her in her reelect. Was there a, you know, report card on how, Pritzker was doing through all that, or is done in general, or is it? I think really about local. I think Chicago did a, did about a, a a C plus B minus. We didn't do a great job. We didn't do a bad job either. I was lucky enough. I I didn't even get COVID until man, it was almost almost a year in, and then I finally caught it. So Chicago was pretty safe. The guidelines that Pritzker and, and Lori put in in place were pretty good. I actually worked the last night before we shut down. March sixteenth uh, was the last night um, that bars opened before we shut down. I worked that night, and then we were shut down until you know twenty twenty one. But overall, I think they did a good job. We closed for uh, eleven months. Wow! And yeah. how was that on everybody? You know, you got employees, you got you got <laughs> customers who can't come and sit down and have a drink. What what, what kind of stress did that put on you? Oh, a ton. I think I was home. So the first two, I know, I know, the first two weeks, I had my kids too, which completely sucked. I love them, but I didn't like them after about a month. Oh, um, <laughs> maybe they felt the same way. <laughs> oh yeah, pretty much. And I'm tired of me too. But the first two weeks, I was home and just kind of like, okay, what are we gonna do? It'll be over in a couple of weeks. You know, it's give me a chance to recharge. But then when two weeks turned into two months, it was like, okay, let's figure out, you know, something to do. I actually myself and some other people on our staff, like we started doing to go cocktails where you can just, you know, mm -hmm. contact list, picking them up at the bar or at home or wherever. I started doing virtual cocktail classes for people while we were shut down. So it forced us to kind of step out of our comfort zone. I had to get used to being on camera. And I did a shit ton of podcasts, interviews and things like this during that time. So the customers were ready for us to come back, but virtually we were able to stay in tune and connected with everybody through either, like I said, cocktail classes or, you know, pickups and drop-offs for people ordering, you know, to love cocktails it. and things like that. So that was one thing I will say when Lori finally gave in and said, okay, bars can do to go and pick up. That was yeah. one of the best things that she did that entire time because a lot of bars were able to sustain a little bit. Like when we reopened at 50%, there's no bar that can operate as a 50% capacity. Right. And right. I don't care how popular you are, how great top 50 bars, all that, you can't. At 100%, it's still tough. So I'm going to imagine cutting that in half. But when she allowed us to do to go for people who weren't comfortable enough to still come back into the bar, but we were able to just, you know, give them, drop their drinks on, in the front seal and they pick them up, that actually helped the entire city as a whole. So I'm not going to shit on her too bad, but she did do something good, you know, during that time. Right, right. I mean, I mean my experience, like, you know, my local establishments, I wanted to be able to help them and support them. I mean, did you kind of feel that love coming back from, from people yes. once they knew they could support you by ordering? Yes. Getting delivery? I was getting phone calls at home. Like, hey, I'll come yeah. in the house and pick it up. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, this is not the bar's product. This is Josh's product. Speakeasy. <laughs> price is going to be a little different. Josh's stuff, but I got you. 
but it was it was great. And then when we were finally able to reopen, like I remember I worked the first night we reopened and like the bar was packed. I really appreciated people come in. And we had to regulate that because it was still, like I said, 50% capacity. We had to do like, you had to show their vaccination cards and everything to come into the bar. Yeah. So we had to regulate it, but the love, like people were like, they wanted to come back, support us and be there for us. So, you know, I mean, shout out to everybody who comes to 16th Street Bar, you know, love all the support we get from there. You are clearly a dedicated professional, Josh. And we want you to tell us about something you're involved with called uh, Brown and Balance. Tell us about that. Yes. So 2017, I started a company called Brown and Balance. It is an advocacy firm for black bartenders all over the country. As I've been in this industry now, this is my 17th year. Um, and I started traveling around the country, going to different cocktail events, Tales of the Cocktail, Portland Cocktail Week, San Francisco Cocktail Week, Rum Festival in Miami, again, Miami. Oh. I didn't see too many people. I didn't see too many people that looked like me that were in positions of not necessarily power, but positions of influence. And everywhere I hang out at, everybody looks like me for the most part. So the disparity came and I said, you know, I have to do something. I'm not, I'm the type of person, you know, I don't want to just talk and I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm actually going to put some action behind my words. And um, July 31st, 2017 in Shoals in Deep Ellum, Texas, I did an event where it was a Black bartenders, black DJ, black chef. And that was the first one we did. And it's grown now to the point we've done 30 events all over the country. It's been 65 bartenders that we've been able to identify as up and coming who are now moving on to do great things themselves. And there's been 75 new classic cocktails created through the Brown and Balance event. And the Brown and Balance cocktail book is coming soon. That's outstanding. We'll post some information on that in the show notes. Thank you. Uh, that's awesome. We want to be supportive of what you're doing there. Thank you. Love your Thank love you. your passion for the profession. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. this is the great industry to be in. Everybody thinks they can bartend, right? But throwing you behind the bar, I can take anybody that thinks they can make drinks, and I put you behind the bar on a Friday night when you fall deep at the bar and people are just screaming <laughs> orders at you. You're gonna fold. Trust me. It takes a certain type of uh, psycho like myself to be able to do this job and do it the way we do. So. All that Tom Cruise crap and cocktail is, is that's not he, yeah. no. he, he, he would wilt in your bar in a busy night. Yes, yeah, he wouldn't have <laughs> he would make it. Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't make it. <laughs> so we have asked you to participate in a little exercise here. One of the things we like to do on this podcast is come up with a couple of new cocktails. On our first episode, we had someone make the Trump and someone make the Biden. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to go with a little local flavor this time. And we've asked you to come up with some ideas. We're going to do two cocktails. One's going to mm -hmm. be the Harold Washington, yes. Chicago's first black mayor, legend yes. of the city, and the Lori Lightfoot. So tell us what you came up with. So the, the Harold Washington, for me, would be a take on a classic cocktail. It's one of my favorite drinks is the, the sidecar. But I would make it uh, with a little pomegranate. So I would go two ounces of cognac, one ounce of triple sec, half ounce of lemon juice. And then we would use a half ounce of pomegranate syrup. We would take fresh pomegranates, cook them down into a syrup, throw them in there. It'll be bright. It'll be red. It'll be delicious. And it'll leave a great taste in your mouth the same way Harold Watson did for all of us. Oh, I love it. I, 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 I just want to drink that, that one. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. All right. So now here we go. Here's your chance. Just, uh, just lost her primary for mayor, the Lori Lightfoot. What does that look like? The Lori Lightfoot is a slit small liquor and a shot of Malort. 
well, that's why she ended up with 16% of the food. <laughs> well, you got to tell us real quick about Malort. Oh, man, it doesn't leave a great taste in your mouth. I'll tell you that right now. It's one and done, same way she was. She was one term and done. Malort's a one and done. <laughs> so I thought you were going to come with a Green River and Malort because that's supposedly the you know Chicago cocktail. So I did a Green River Malort, and I actually liked it. Did I you? actually liked it. Yes, the Green River kind of masked the Malort a little bit. I still couldn't get that Malort taste out of my mouth, but the Green River helped it out a little bit. So I did try it that, that night after we spoke. So, yes, I... Now, I'm not going to add to the menu. I'm going to say that right now. It's not going to happen. You're not putting it on. Okay. I got a buddy of mine. I'll give a little shout out to Mike Bronco in Chicago. He's sending me some Green River and some Malort right now. So I'm going to be able to join you and have one here in a couple of days when it gets here. We'll, we'll definitely have one. I'm going to definitely have one over the weekend. But yeah, I'm not, they're not going on the menu. I'm not, I'm not going to do that to people. Fine. <laughs> Chicago St. Patty's tradition. <laughs> well, Josh, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you visiting with us and our listeners. I mean, you've just provided a great perspective. And I know Cottrell wishes you well on the White Sox season. I do. I do. Absolutely. <laughs> we have to meet up for the Crosstown Classic. You know, come to Chicago, we have I to go to a game. I've got family there, and I'll definitely be in for a couple of games this year. And the first place I'm stopping is the 16th. 16th, come on down. And then you know, come by, come to the house. We'll drink some Green River and Malort. I'll pop the grill open, get some ribs going, have a good time. Okay, now you're uh, done. Now I'm, nice. my gum too. I'm looking at the flights. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, this is great. Thanks so much. We appreciate having you. Hey, thank you guys. I, I love being on. Let's do this again sometime. All right. Well, Rob, that was quite an interview. I just love hearing from Josh on kind of what his community looks like, what his bar looks like. There was some interesting political nuggets in there, too. I mean, here you have the first black vice president. He said, you know, look, I don't like the fact that she's a prosecutor. We're happy that yeah. she's there. So, you know, some interesting insights coming out of Josh. Well, and also he acknowledged the pride when Lori Lightfoot got elected mayor four years ago. As he said, first black queer woman to be mayor, but you got to do the job. I mean, that voting block was all part of throwing her out too. Yeah. Kind of the way I think you might be feeling about the vice president as well. Yeah. And the other interesting thing I thought, you know, he describes what the bar crowd is like through each day part. And I got to think this is probably one of the most interesting, diverse places to hang out where you've got the business men and women with the laptops taking Zoom meetings in the daytime. And then you got the after work crowd. And then you got, you know, a predominantly African-American crowd in the evenings with the retro hip hop. I mean, sounds like a place I'd want to hang out just to see who's coming through the door and what they're talking about. Sounds like a successful business. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another episode of Highball Politics. Thanks for joining us. Be with us next week as we pull up a bar stool somewhere else in America, an important city, an important state, and we will interview a bartender there and find out what the locals are drinking and talking about when it comes to politics and culture. But until then, cheers, Cato. Cheers, Rob. Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media. Executive producers are David Kochel and me, Rob Stetsman. Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com. And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your pics of this week's with the hashtag Highball Podcast. And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Hideball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review, and please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.